Hello and welcome to Lakes Chat. I'm your host, Jennifer Caddick with the Alliance for the Great Lakes. When most of us think about surfing, we think of sunny California or Hawaii, but there is a tight-knit and growing surf scene around the Great Lakes. In today's episode, we're chatting with Drew Youngdike. He's a native Michigander with a deep love for the lakes and a volunteer with the Northern Michigan chapter of the Surfrider Foundation. In his day job, Drew is Director of Conservation Partnerships for the National Wildlife Federation. We'll chat about Great Lakes surfing, the mission of Surfrider, and a few of their campaigns, including their concerns about the Line 5 pipeline and efforts to keep plastic pollution out of the lakes. Welcome, Drew. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for having me on. Sure. So let's start off. Tell us a little bit about how long you've been surfing on the Great Lakes and what got you into it. Sure. So I'm I'm pretty new at it, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly a novice. Um, and you know, there's, there's certainly folks in the community who, who have been surfing a lot longer, do it uh, more year round and are much better at it. Um, so actually I, I grew up in Northern Michigan, um, just a couple miles from, from the Lake Michigan beach. And so I was always going to it and I never even considered it. It was, it was, it wasn't <laughs> something you saw people doing back in the nineties, you know, and, uh, a, a few years ago, my wife and I took a vacation actually to Hawaii, to Kauai, took a surf lesson. And, uh, you know, actually through working at the National Wildlife Federation, I was aware of the Sleeping Bear Surf and Kayak Surf Shop up in Empire. So I took a surf lesson here and I uh, ended up buying a board and just kind of, you know, when I get back up home, bring it along with me and, and try to learn as best I can. Um, but, you know, so that's how I got into it. Um, to me, it's just a, a way to, to more deeply experience the, the Great Lakes that I've loved all my life. You kind of pay attention to their nuances on a different level um, mm -hmm. as far as trying to read, you know, wind and fetch. And, um, you know, normally I think growing up, you, you try to go there on the sunny days, but with uh, surfing, you're looking for the the nastiest, windiest, coldest days that, <laughs> that are going to generate the waves that you need. So you, you learn to appreciate the, the lakes from a, from a new level and, and I think a deeper level as well. Mm -hmm. And so you touched on this a little bit, but um, some people, myself included, would consider surfing on the Great Lakes a bit of an extreme sport, right? Because the the best conditions on the Great Lakes are those you know more winter months, stormy days, um, and so what is it about the lakes that brings that prime surfing weather and conditions in the winter and not as much in the summer? Yeah, so, so it, has to, it has to do with just the, the change in temperature and it's when you get bigger winds. So you get bigger winds because you've got, you know, warm water, you've got cold air, those mix, you get winds, it generates waves. Um, so we're really kind of in the prime time right now. Um, of it, although I haven't been out in, in way too long. Um, you know, it's, it's harder for me. I live in Ann Arbor, so I'm a couple hours from like the Lake Michigan coast and I kind of have to plan those out months in ahead and just hoping that that the waves <laughs> happen to show up when I plan that out. For the folks that live, you know, up by Traverse City, you know, they're right next to the lakes and, you know, when they get a good day, they can get right out on them and it kind of makes it nice for them. And so how do you, just from a practical standpoint, how do you not freeze to death? You know, I've been, I've been in the lakes. I think the earliest I've ever been in the lakes is like late May. And sometimes when you, it, it's like physically painfully cold. 
Um, and, you know, cold weather, cold water can be dangerous. So what kind of gear do you use and what kind of preparation does it take to surf on the Great Lakes? Sure. So, you know, just as far as withstanding the temperature, it's all about good wetsuits, good uh, high quality wetsuits that, that fit well and that are of the right um, thickness and, and rating for the water that you're going in. Um, and so, you know, whether it's like a, a, in two, I think a lot of people don't realize, um, even when, for instance, in the spring, once the air gets warm, the lakes haven't had a chance to warm up yet. So the lakes are so cold, even right now, like, um, you know, in the fall, the lakes still are retaining some of their, their warmth from the summer, even though the air is mm -hmm. turning colder. So it's really about the water temperature as well as when you're going to be sitting up on your board um, out of that and that wind's coming in, what protects you there? So for instance, I have a, a 543 hooded wetsuit. Um, that means five millimeter, um, you know, chest protection, uh, four on the arms and legs and different areas where you need a little more movement and a three millimeter hood that kind of goes all the way around, except for, you know, my beard when it's curled out. Um, and then seven millimeter uh, mitts and, and boots. And so that keeps me fairly warm, at least in the temperatures that I've gone in. I have not yet gone in like the really cold winter weather as, as a beginner. And that's part of staying safe too, is knowing your limits, knowing what your skill level is. Um, you know, because I'm, I'm a beginner, I use a bigger board that has more flotation. And I, I go out when the waves are, are relatively smaller. Um, on the best days when they're really pumping, I really shouldn't be out there with my skill level yet. That's when the, the good surfers are out there that can handle it. Um, and, and so that's part of staying safe too, knowing what your level is, um, understanding your ability and not pushing past it and creating an unsafe uh, situation for yourself or others who may have to have to rescue you. Um, as well as that, we always use um, we always use leashes as well to make sure that we're always attached to our board. So our boards are giant flotation devices. We're wearing wetsuits that, that keep us uh, warm uh, in, in the temperature wet water that we're going in. Um, and we make sure that we're always tethered to that giant flotation device in addition to um, just the constant practice of the skill that you need to be able to paddle and surf. And really when it comes to surfing, um, it's, it's like 99% paddling and, you know, 1% uh, standing on the board if you're good. And as you get better, you know, maybe you can make it 95% paddling and 5% riding the board, but it's still mostly just paddling in cold water as, you know, I'm, with the waves coming at the wrong direction at your face. So, you know, that kind of, you kind of have to be a little bit, uh, a little, a little bit, uh, maybe something off with you to want to do that in the first place when it's cold. But once you experience that one to 5% of standing up, riding this, this energy that's built itself across from Wisconsin coming over, um, it's a really cool feeling. It's what it keeps, keeps us coming back for more. Yeah. And about how long do you stay out there? Like on those cold days, like, yeah, you've got protection, you've got gear, but like, are you out there for like a half an hour? I mean, certainly some of that probably depends on skill level, but I'm just sort of curious, like how long you can withstand those cold temperatures, even with a heavy duty wetsuit on. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'll be out there for a shorter amount of time than, than the, the people who are more experienced. And, and mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be honest about that. Um, <laughs> you know, they can stay out there for, for hours, but also you're coming back in every so often, mm -hmm. um, you know, going out there, coming back in, you know, warming up when, when you need to. Um, I'm, I'm often because just, just my job and, and, you know, I have a, I have a three-year-old. Um, I, I don't have quite the, the, the free time that some others have so often, 
my time is less limited by the cold is when I need to, when I need to get back home. <laughs> and it sounds like there's a strong community, you know, of people that are, you know, helping to teach others and inviting others into the sport. It sounds like there's a lot of camaraderie around this. There, there seems to be, um, again, again, I'm, I'm pretty new to it, but we've, we've really found that that community, especially in Northern Michigan, kind of centered around, um, the surf shop and, and sleeping bear surf and kayak. And, and along that, I, I want to send out our, our deepest condolences as, as a chapter, the owner of the surf shop, uh, Beryl Scrocky is a member of the Great Lakes uh, Business Network. Um, really, really terrific lady. She's the mom of one of our co-board uh, co members. Unfortunately, she she just recently passed away. And really this this whole community is is trying to deal with that right now. We're, we're really heartbroken for the Scrocky family. Um, and we want folks to know that that if you if you can reach out to the surf shop sleeping bear surf and kayak and let them know how much um she meant to you they they could use that right now and, and our hearts are with them so with a small community like that um when something like that happens it, it it kind of affects us all on some level yeah i'm so sorry to hear about that and we can share some information about her and and the surf shop on our webpage for sure um and our hearts go out to that family as well and the broader family of the community yeah. 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 And, and, and I say that because it's, they're kind of the hub of that community. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's, that's where mm -hmm. I, um, that's where I, I kind of took my, uh, my, my surf lesson here on the Great Lakes. I got me back into it. It's where I bought both of my boards mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and what that, that Great Lakes community does. And I, it's hard for me to say what the surf community is like in other parts of the country. Mm -hmm. Cause I don't live there. I haven't been part of it. You kind of hear stereotypes, but the, the, the localism stereotypes that you might hear about in other parts of the country don't seem to be a thing here in the Great Lakes. Mm. I think because it's not like breaks and beaches are so crowded that you're fighting <laughs> for waves. There's only a mm -hmm. limited amount of people that want to go out in that weather anyways. <laughs> and so it's kind of more of a thing is when you find somebody else as crazy as you that actually wants to do that, you kind of help them <laughs> along um, because there aren't so many people that want to do that, that you have to fight for waves. Yeah. So let's shift and talk a little bit about Surfrider, because I think that's a, another part of the the sort of sense of community um, and building community among surfers across the country. Um, I know a lot of folks here in the Great Lakes region aren't super familiar with Surfrider, so, but there are a couple of different chapters around the lake. So tell us a little bit about the organization. Sure. So the, the organization was founded in the, in the 80s in uh, California, um, really to, to fight pollution that was happening on some of their beaches there. Um, our, our Northern Michigan chapter uh, used to exist, kind of went, went out um, as I think people had personal things come up. Um, and we just restarted it just about a year ago. Um, there are some other chapters around the Great Lakes, though, strong chapters, especially in Chicago. Uh, they have a real strong chapter uh, led by uh, Mitch McNeil, and they've been really active, for instance, in, in um, you know, the, the lawsuits on cleaning up the, the chemical spills that have happened in Southern Lake Michigan there. Um, they've really led that effort and been part of that effort. Um, they do great work in that chapter. Uh, there's a Milwaukee chapter, uh, Duluth chapter, um, you know, Cleveland and Ohio. So, you know, all around the Great Lakes, there's places to surf. So there's little pockets of communities of surfers who spring up. I think what what surf rider is, it's definitely not like every surfer in, in the Great Lakes, but but those of us that, that want to get involved in environmental causes uh, related to the recreation that we pursue. Um, and really the, the impetus for us restarting the Northern Michigan chapter was about a year ago, um, actually due to the increase in, uh, in, in drownings in the Great Lakes, 
Um, the Michigan DNR was actually proposing closing water access at, at state park beaches when um, mm. when conditions got too bad to swim in. Well, of course, when those conditions are bad, that's kind of the only time we can get waves. So it, they didn't mean it to target surfers, uh, surfing definitely, but it would have inadvertently actually closed down mm. surfing at Great Lakes beaches. So really the whole Michigan surfing community um, organized um, and very respectfully went to the Natural Resources Commission, laid out their case, made the case to the DNR, and we actually got an exemption in that uh, director's order for mm. surfing and other water-based board sports, you know, where you, as I, as I described earlier, you're tethered to a flotation device and it's mm -hmm. wave dependent. Um, and so we were able to get that exception exemption and um, maintain access. Uh, part of that is uh, the Great Lakes uh, Surf Rescue Clinic. Mm -hmm. They maintain, uh, in addition to water safety advocacy, they also maintain a decade's worth of very detailed statistics. And in all the Great Lakes drownings, none of them have been from surfers themselves, whereas surfers are often the ones because they're Again, they have that flotation device. They're wearing a wetsuit. They're used to those rough conditions. They're often rescuing swimmers who get in distress and, and being able mm -hmm. to present that information. Um, but especially being able to organize as a community, we realized was really effective and necessary. So we didn't have a surf rider chapter in Michigan. And so we wanted to start one back up so that we could organize that community and be ready for when things like that happen. And we needed to organize quickly as a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's um, one of the things I always find interesting about Surfrider is there's that strong focus on environmental protection and, you know, preventing pollution, cleaning up pollution because surfers are in it. Right. Um, but then also building this community and thinking about safety and, um, you know, and that we people often think about on the Great Lakes you don't think about things like riptides, you know, that's what you think of when it comes to the ocean, but particularly Lake Michigan has some serious riptides. And I think I've read some statistics that Lake Michigan is off, is the considered the quote, most deadliest lakes as far as drownings. Um, yeah. It, from a it is. Yeah. We, we, we have pretty strong rip currents. Um, and, you know, actually when I was on my way to the, uh, the Great Lakes Restoration Conference that we were both at in Milwaukee, uh, a couple of weeks ago, as I drove through Chicago, I drove all along Lakeshore Drive and boy, the lake was really pumping there. And you could see, you know, it wasn't a place you would actually surf because of the seawalls, you know, where you're where you're along there, where they surf in Chicago is is at different beaches. But you could actually see the rip currents hitting the seawall and going back out into the water and the waves just of the generated of the of the rip currents that were bouncing off and going back out into the lake were big enough to surf on their own. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. when you think about that kind of force, those kind of forces are happening underwater often, you know, at piers, um, at places where an average swimmer maybe who's coming for a vacation might not recognize that those same forces, even if you can't see them on the surface, are happening underwater. And that's when swimmers often, uh, often get in trouble. Um, you know, as surfers, you know, it's not like every one of us surfers understands that, like, you know, perfectly, but we have a sense of that because we're looking for those types of currents and trying to figure out where the waves may break. What is the underwater structure that may cause a wave to break? You know, where can we get out, um, you know, past the line of breaking waves to catch it with the least amount of resistance? And sometimes it's through those places. So we, we tend to study and understand that a little bit better than the general public. Um, mm -hmm. 
but but that's where I think swimmers often and really when we say swimmers usually it's waders if we're really mm-hmm. talking about it M- mm-hmm. many people who wade maybe they swim a little bit but they don't really have those strong swimming skills they're mm-hmm. waders who get caught in that and can't get themselves out of it mm-hmm. um, you know what the Great Lakes Surf Rescue Clinic always talks about is use a flip float and follow method and just let it take you out until you can get back in um, but, but a lot of people don't know that. So we try to amplify their message as best that we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super important. Um, you know, I know in addition to, um, you know, some of the safety messaging and, and access issues that you're working on with Surfrider in, you know, around Michigan and up in Northern Michigan, um, you know, one issue that you all have weighed in on, and I know have some concerns about are the line five pipeline. Um, and so for folks who might not be familiar with that issue or not from Michigan, explain to us what line five is and why it might be an issue. Sure. So, so Line Five is owned by uh, Enbridge Energy. It uh, was was constructed in, I believe, it was 1953. Um, had originally a 50 year lifespan, um, so you can imagine that was well over 50 years ago. Um, and and what originally kind of alerted environmentalists to the danger of this is Enbridge's Line Six B near Kalamazoo burst and um, spilled uh, oil into the Kalamazoo River through its tributaries. Um, somebody who I work with at National Wildlife Federation, Beth Wallace, um, you know, her family's from there and she started researching where the other ones were and um, kind of got the environmental community involved in understanding where this line five crossed through the Straits of Mackinac um, through subsequent uh, dives, um, through actually accidents that have happened, um, tugboats running into it, uh, uh, anchor strikes, that kind of thing. We've really come to understand the danger that the current line five um, poses to to the Great Lakes. Uh, the University of Michigan has done studies on, you know, the miles of coastline that could potentially uh, coat with oil, uh, depending on the on the wave currents that, that cross through the straits there. The difficulty of cleaning it up, um, even in open water, but especially when there's ice cover uh, blocking access to cleanup. Um, and so that's a that's a threat really to to lots of coastline of the Great Lakes, both in Lake Huron and uh, Lake Michigan, both from the northern side and you know down uh, the coast of northern Michigan. And you know, as surfers, at least that's that's where we surf. <laughs> There's a lot of more important things that it can impact, and we want to be clear about that. It's not just like our own recreational right. thing that they're worried about. It's drinking water. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's tribal sovereignty. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's outdoor recreation and tourism for communities that are depending on it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as surfers, our own personal <laughs> selfish interest is, Hey, that's where we surf. That would really mm-hmm. be terrible. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it's something that of course, for whatever contribution we make to, to the economy through tourism, you know, through the outdoor recreation economy, we feel like that's something where we do understand the lakes. We spend time in them. We know them a little bit. And we can speak from experience about those exact coastlines where, where they would impact, um, and and what our recreational interests, um, you know, would be impacted by that and by a spill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know um, your colleagues at the National Wildlife Federation and other groups in Michigan are really working hard on that issue. But I, what I think has been interesting about it is this diverse coalition, right, that has sprung up. Uh, pardon the language there. <laughs> uh, 
uh, around line five and, um, you know, trying to make sure that it doesn't spring a leak, um, which would be devastating for recreation, for drinking water, for so many other issues. So I think it's such a great coalition and, and really important work that y'all are working on. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're a small part of that coalition, but we're a proud part of that coalition. You know, we, mm -hmm. we lend our voice where it can help and, and kind of follow the lead of, of the organizations that are doing the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I know you also work on, uh, like the Alliance for the Great Lakes does a lot and so many other groups, but it's uh, another super important issue and that's preventing plastic pollution. And I know that's been a big effort for Surfrider nationally, but I know your group is also, um, your chapter is also working on that. Tell us a little bit about that campaign and, and Surfrider's efforts. Sure. So, I mean, nationally, it's one of the central platforms that, that Surfrider Foundation has. Um, you know, as chapters, we support that national mission as well, including the Break Fleet sorry, break free from Plastic Pollution Act uh, that, that that we support and hope will pass. And if it doesn't, we really want to see it reintroduced and pass the next term. Um, but but here in Michigan, um, you know, we have a, how do you explain it? It's a ban on local plastic bag bans mm -hmm. um, that was passed a few years ago, which is kind of a terrible, terrible piece of state legislation. And it really restricts local communities uh, ability to keep pollution off their own uh, beaches and, and and off their own waterways. And, you know, like like Alliance for the Great Lakes and some of your great uh, community chapters, we do beach cleanups and we find the microplastic uh, wash up on the beach. Um, we find the plastic parts um, that, that are embedded in the sand. Once you do a beach cleanup, um, you kind of can't look at a stretch of beach the same way. Once you mm -hmm. see all those little tiny little microplastic pieces embedded in the sand, you kind of can't look at a stretch of beach and not see them because they're literally everywhere. I think it's something mm -hmm. that, um, you know, when you just go to the beach and you're not aware of it, you almost might look over it because they're so small mm -hmm. and so just ubiquitous. Once you start cleaning them up and realize how long it takes and how many are in just one small square foot of beach sand on the Great Lakes, and then you look at the immensity of that up and down the coast, um, you start to understand what a problem it is. And of course, when you're talking about what washes up on the beach, that's what's already been in the lakes and washed mm -hmm. up on the beach. That That's just a sliver of what's already in the lakes, what's impacting fish, what's going into our drinking water systems, what, you know, washed off on the land. So, you know, what we try to do is in addition to our beach cleanups where we get citizens involved and we've held a couple of them uh, this year. And, and, you know, remember, this is just our first year getting yeah. started. So um, we hosted in addition to in-person on the ground cleanups, we did a virtual on your own cleanup where uh, we had people sign up through, a, through an app, collect on mm -hmm. their own, take pictures of it, log it. And we, asked, we were actually able to work with Jack Johnson uh, when he did his concert in Michigan and offer uh, tickets as kind of a, as a prize. Um, mm -hmm. And we had, you know, a lot of people go out and collect a lot of uh, beach trash on their own, um, not just for those tickets, but um, I think that's kind of one of those incentives that, that reminds people to actually log it in the app so we can mm -hmm. track it. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, so in addition to setting up a table there this summer at DTE Energy during his Meet the Moonlight tour, um, mm -hmm. we were able to award uh, two tickets to some of our volunteers that went and did that on your own beach cleanup. Um, the other thing that we do is we certify Great Lakes friendly restaurants. And so mm. those are restaurants that have um, committed to, for instance, using uh, compostable to go containers, not using single use plastic 
you know, or styrofoam mm-hmm. when they do to go containers and that kind of thing. So um, our, our chapter uh, chair, uh, J.D. Wilson, lives up in Traverse City. He's got, got some connections within the restaurant industry. So he's been having lots of talks with local restaurants in the Traverse City mm-hmm. area, getting a couple of them to come on board. And, you know, it's a big shift for a business to shift mm-hmm. over. It's uh, to go containers. Um, it might seem little, but it's a big shift for a restaurant. But he's been able to work with a couple of them to start moving in that direction and, and get that ball rolling. That's awesome. And I think that's um, really exciting to hear you guys taking some of these creative approaches, you know, those ban on bans and Michigan sadly is not alone in the Great Lakes region for, for having that kind of legislation where local governments can't make, you know, their own local laws about what they want to do about plastic pollution. But, you know, that education and outreach is super important. So, you know, hats off to you guys for doing that because that's a lot of intensive work. For sure. It is. And, and don't get me wrong. We, we, we fully support the repeal of that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, so, you know, I think this is all just really exciting. You know, it sounds like you all have so much amazing work happening up there in Northern Michigan um, and are, you know, have a great community are continuing to build community with awareness about the lakes and safety and so on. Um, you know, how can our listeners get involved with Surfrider or, um, you know, what would you, what would your advice be to, um, you know, someone who's considering exploring surfing in the Great Lakes? Well, first of all, uh, join, join Surfrider, um, <laughs> because it connects you to that community. You know, our, our board is small. Um, I mentioned, uh, uh, Ellis Grocky and JD Wilson. I also want to uh, recognize Jackie Dorman and Ariana Farina, who are our other two executive committee members that are really, um, keeping this chapter afloat. Um, we're a small chapter um, and and they've been really doing a lot of work and, and you know, we have a monthly newsletter and organizing cleanups and, and that kind of thing, but we need more help. You know, in order for a small chapter to grow and continue, we need um, more members. <laughs> um, not, not, for, not for the funding that you bring in, it's not for the membership dollars, it's, mm-hmm. it's for people to help organize meetups, uh, organize beach cleanups on your own beach. Um, and if you're looking at getting into surfing, that's the way that you meet people who are more experienced in surfing. Um, it was part of my my desire to get involved in Surfrider as well as I, I'm new to this community. I'm new to this sport. And it's really helped me meet people who are more experienced in that that can help me with all those little little details that help you grow in the sport and learn how to do it. Um, but if you're trying to do that on your own, it's a very long, slow process. If you're doing that with um, more experienced people that you meet through an organization like Surfrider helping you. It's still a long, slow process. It's just not quite as slow and it's a little bit more fun. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I'm so excited to hear that well, everything that you guys are doing. Um, and for our listeners, Drew will work with you. We'll get some links up on our website about all the resources and folks that we've talked about in this conversation. Um, and again, our website is greatlakes.org slash chat. So thank you so much, Drew, for chatting with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jennifer. And thanks for the great work that you do at the Alliance for the Great Lakes. We really respect that as well. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. On our website, greatlakes.org slash lakeschat, you'll find links to more information about the topics that we talked about today. And you can also sign up for updates to stay in the know about Great Lakes issues and opportunities to get involved. Special thank you to my colleague, Michelle Farley, who produces this podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you'll know when the next episode drops. Talk to you next week.